Hello and welcome to Tolkien with Friends today. Uh, that was my Oprah impression. Like, yeah. hello. <laughs> today we're covering the first 36 minutes and 23 seconds of the extended edition of Two Towers. And this roughly, and I mean roughly, corresponds to chapters The Riders of Rohan, Urukai, and The Taming of Smeagol. And not in that order. Um, so now is the part where I guess I explain how we're going to do Two Towers and, like, the first half of Return of the King. Because, so the Fellowship is very linear, right? And it we're basically able to just stick with Frodo through the whole thing. And as people are added, it's fine. Like, that doesn't really change the structure of the story. Now, when we get to Two Towers, this is where... Peter Jackson and his team start getting more creative with the way that they are telling the story because the way that um, Lord of the Rings is written is so that it is it's supposed to be one whole volume and then within those volumes it's broken up into books and I don't mean Fellowship Two Towers Return of the King it's written with book one book two book three book four book five book six and so the the way that that worked out because of paper shortages from World War II and like trying to reduce costs of printing um, and then also the publisher's not sure, being sure how well it would do, they broke it up into three volumes. So book one and two are Fellowship of the Ring. Book two and three are Two Towers. Uh, no, I said that wrong. Book one and two, book three and four, book is Two Towers, book five and six are Return of the King. So... But by doing that in Two Towers and Return of the King, so we've got the split breaking of the Fellowship, right? And we've got the group that going towards Rohan, and they have the group going towards Mordor. And so for the first half of Two Towers, it is Legolas, Gimli, Aragorn, Merry, and Pippin. And then once you get to the middle of the book, it goes backward in time to what Frodo and Sam have been up to during the those other chapters. Peter Jackson and team do that a little differently. They, they try to get it all like on a timeline, right? So that we're kind of switching back and forth so that we're checking in with everybody a little bit as things progress. Now, when I was researching how I wanted to do this, at, at first I was like, you know what? If that's what Peter did, then I'll just go look at the timeline in the back of Return of the King and do it based on that. Well, there are times where Peter doesn't exactly stick to that because of, you know, with storytelling, sometimes there is a point where you're just going to, you're going to stay with a moment for a minute before cutting back, cutting away. And there are things that he certainly adds that aren't in this book. So what I'm doing for it, particularly two towers, because by in, at some point, return of the King, we all get back together again, <laughs> but Two towers were split the whole time. So I'm gonna kind of letting the movie lead us more in this. Whereas before I could just pause it whenever the chapter was done. Now, like for example, when I was getting ready for this episode, I I knew that I wanted to cover um, the Riders of Rohan and the Taming of Smeagol, right? That is for sure at the beginning of the movie. Those are the first essentially the two chapters that I believed to have corresponded to the beginning. And Taming of Smeagol is pretty much exact. 
Riders of Rohan and the Urukai is a little different. So in these chapters, um, you see Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas pursuing the Urukai. You see them seeing Aemir for the first time and you know, talking to the riders and then getting to the point of where the riders of Rohan have destroyed all the Urukai and they're looking for signs of Merry and Pippin. And they spend more time there than they do in the movie, uh, as one would. You know, they, they, they get there and they're like, you know, we'll keep searching in the morning. And that's some weird happens, some stuff, weird stuff happens where they like see a wizard figure and they're not sure who it is. They assume it's Saruman. I don't know who it was. Um, at this point, we don't know who it was. And then it cuts to what Mary and Pippin have been doing from Mary's, or from Pippin's perspective, because Mary's kind of like conked out most of the time. Um, and so you see a little bit more of like what the orcs are talking about and stuff than you do. And like, I feel like that is like the biggest part that's glossed over. And this point, and, and in that chapter, Mary and Pippin do make it to the eaves of Fangorn. Whereas where I had to stop it in the movie, um, Mary and Pippin haven't gotten away from the orcs yet quite. They're about to, but they haven't. But I didn't want to get into Aragorn, because that chapter with Aragorn and stuff is over. I didn't want to get too far into that. Mm-hmm. So, so that's just kind of how it's going to be. I get it. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I, I know. I think this is probably where some people have, you know, it is an interesting narrative style, right? Not. I think some books do this. Not a lot of books do this, um, but, but there is. You can. We'll see later how this choosing this allows um, Tolkien to do some cliffhangers in places and all of that, whereas. Um, PDJ does it in a different way, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the structure. So um, now I think I, I've kind of given an overview of where we are in the story. Um, but what I think is interesting about this part is that the movie starts off with Gandalf and the Balrog and you get to see them like actually fighting but then Frodo wakes up as if that was and he says Gandalf so it's like as if Frodo was dreaming that um which is interesting because Frodo like we saw with Galadriel like the mirror of Galadriel last time Frodo in the book saw Gandalf like what he thought was Gandalf walking and he didn't really know what that meant later I think it's we kind of know that it's Gandalf returning. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but at this point, we don't. And so to know that Frodo is kind of having this foresighty stuff, it, it's interesting to use that as, like, the opener, mm-hmm. I thought. Mm-hmm. Did you have any particular feelings about that opening scene? Um, I... Not that you anyone would forget, you know. It's, mm-hmm. like, a, a huge moment in Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of liked it because it really brought you back into the story with that, you know, with that tear-jerking moment. Um, and it makes the 
reveal of, you know, Gandalf the White, I think that much more unique because you see, you know, not just like, oh my God, where'd he go? He died. But no, there was this continuous battle Mm -hmm. that he was struggling with. I don't know if that made any sense, but I liked it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I liked it too. I think it was like, because that's, that's is one of the most, I think, impactful moments from fellowship. And then to, you know, if you're watching it for the first time and you don't know that Gandalf is coming back, it's probably just like, ah, dang it. Like, you know, you got to do this just again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, you see that impact on Frodo. He's like haunted by it. Right. Um, and so that is one thing that I really enjoyed about this part of the movie. I thought that was like a really beautiful choice to kind of bring you back into the story, you know, assuming that you've, especially if you're thinking about it, probably the way that Peter was at the time, like it's been a year since you've seen the last one. I mean, you may have bought it on DVD or VHS or whatever by that point, but you know, yeah. um, it's been a minute. And so you're bringing folks back in and I thought it was beautifully done. I do know that it was um, part of it, you know, when they're falling and it's just blackness and then that one like Mm -hmm. flame, I know that that was Peter trying to recreate a painting done by one of the concept, you know, like the concept artists, um, a painting that they had done previously. I want to say it was John Howe, but it could have been Alan Lee. I can't remember. Um, and did I look that up before this? No. Um, but I always <laughs> loved that little piece of behind the scenes knowledge because it is so, I mean, to be that artist and then to be like, yeah, I'm going to remake your painting mm-hmm. for the big screen. And I'm like, that's so cool. What a fulfilling moment. So really, really love that. And then it jumps right to Frodo and Sam's story. And I'm going to say like, for the most part that sticks pretty close to the book as far as like all of the events that happen, like the storm happens, them, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Sam talking about the Limbus bread, I think it's supposed to imply that they have kind of been, you know, and they, you know, he says the thing like we're lost. Um, but in the book, they kind of like stay with that a little bit more to show like how frustrated Frodo is about like them just kind of going around in these circles and like not, getting out of the the hills um and you know this just this rocky it's like ravines and cliffs and you know all kinds of stuff where they just like can't figure out which how to get out of it um and then that's when they realize so like they have known about sam particularly has known about Gollum following them since they were going down the river and frodo has kind of known about it since moria and so they're both on the same page there Um, But the way they introduce it in the movie is Frodo just saying to Sam, we're not alone, cut to Gollum climbing down that cliff face, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And that does happen in the movie. I mean, it's like in the book, like, but this is, um, I think Sam notices him first and and he's kind of like pissed off. He's like, you know, if he comes down here, I'm going to say something to him. And Frodo was like, no like shut up he's gonna hear you (laughs) and so Gollum falls off that cliff um in the movie they like grab him but in the book he kind of miscalculates the 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 ledge and it because the 
cliff it, it's like sheer and then it kind of dips in yeah and he doesn't realize that he doesn't have anything to, so he falls and then sam grabs him but you know Gollum grabs right back and then frodo saves him so i think that that was done really well with like them kind of fighting it out um but then the thing that really bothers me about this scene is that frodo um you know is is saying that you know now that i see him i do pity him which is uh, tracks with what happens in the book but Sam is like really upset by this, you know, and in the movie, you really see him like, like he's going to, if we let him go, he's going to throttle us in our sleep. And in the movie, Frodo just ignores Sam, goes straight to Gollum and is like, you know, the way to Mordor. And, you know, they, they have that exchange about, mm-hmm. you know, making promises and, and all of that. And I think that the way Frodo handles it in the book is a lot better as far as the dynamic between him and Sam, you know, Frodo never doesn't respond to Sam. I feel like that was really like rude. Um, But I think that this is the moment, like as soon as Gollum is introduced, you see them like depicting a change between him and Sam. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's like this wedge being drawn because then later in the movies, they have that whole thing where he tells Sam to go home as if yeah. Gollum has won. And that never happens. So I don't know <laughs> why they had to add that. It hurts me. Like, you mean when you're two seconds away, you're going to tell him to go? Don't I know. Go. Like, where do, where do you think he's supposed to go? Like, yeah. you are in Mordor. Like, that is a death sentence to go alone. Like, what? He's supposed to go find Faramir? I don't, I don't know. That never happens. And Frodo is never that fucked up. <laughs> um, so, but also, I think that the line that he responds with is so important to like all the stuff we've been talking about with like Frodo and Gollum. Mm -hmm. I think it it comes back to us here. So in the movie, Sam said, he's trying to trick us. We let him go. He'll throttle us in our sleep. Frodo ignores him um, and just starts talking to Gollum. But in the books, Sam says something similar, but the wording is, um, you know, him responding to Frodo feeling pity for Gollum and he goes, you know, now that I do see him, I pity him. Like, you know, he hasn't done us any harm. Don't basically like, don't kill him. And for Sam is like, oh, hasn't he done us any harm? You know, um, anyway, he meant to, and he means to, I'll warrant. Throttle us in our sleep. That's his plan. And Frodo responds, which I think is key here, is I dare say he does. But what he means to do is another matter. And this is, you know, in the in Fellowship, the movie, they had him remember some lines from Gandalf. But actually, this is when it comes back to him. And it, it has him remembering Gandalf's words, you know, about pity. It was pity that stayed his hand, pity and mercy not to strike without need. Many that live deserve death and some that die deserve life. Can you give that to them to be not too eager to deal out death in the name of justice, fearing for our own safety? Even the wise cannot see all ends. And... It's funny that it, it just caught, you know, like reading these things back to back like this calls different things out to me. So it has this, then be not too eager to deal out death in the name of justice, justice fearing for your own safety. And later, um, 
or like at the same time, I guess, in the chapter, um, the Riders of Rohan, when Legolas in, is kind of lamenting that they haven't found any evidence of Merry and Pippin. And he says that, you know, they shouldn't have come. You know, Elrond was against their coming. And Legolas says, Gandalf was not. And Gimli's like, well, Gandalf chose to come himself and he was the first to be lost. His foresight failed him. And Aragorn responds, the council of Gandalf was not founded on foreknowledge of safety for himself or for others. There are some things that it's better to begin than to refuse, even though the end may be dark. Mm-hmm. So Aragorn's saying this. Frodo is remembering essentially the same thing, um, which I thought was a very interesting parallel. I feel like there's a couple of parallels in the book between Frodo and Aragorn, that being one of them. The other is that at the beginning of both of their sections, they're both like, everything, every decision I've made has been a bad one. Like, I, I, I feel like I can't choose the right thing to do. Like, I'm moving forward in the hope that I'm doing the right thing, but they're both really unsure, you know, like... Aragorn's like, oh, maybe I should have gone with Frodo, like, but Merry and Pippin, I can't yeah. leave them, you know, and um, and then Frodo was like, ugh, like, I should have left the company earlier, you know, I could have avoided these stupid hills, you know, um, and all of that, so I think that's a really interesting parallel. I don't really have anything much more to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are both kind of the leaders and of their respective groups, I mean, at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not saying it, but... Um, it's almost like a good leader isn't, like, 100% sure of everything. And I think that was something that also Gandalf would say, you of know? Of course. So, interesting parallel there. Um, but then, you know, uh, back to Frodo and Sam, they have this exchange with... Gollum um and actually I think I do want to call this out I couldn't decide earlier but I do think it was an interesting change that they made so in the uh, the movie he says there isn't a prom there is like there isn't a promise you can make that I can trust like nothing you can say right now would make would convince me to like untie this elvish rope on you, you know, because you you would just do something bad. And in the book, he he hasn't quite said that yet. And you know, Gollum is trying is still trying to convince them to take off the or take off the rope and you know, kind of let him go. Um, and Frodo's like, no, we won't let you go, but we and we will, or we won't kill you, but we won't let you go either. You're full of wickedness and mischief, Gollum. You will have to come with us. That's all. While we keep an eye on you, but you must help us if you can. One good turn deserves another. And I feel like this is in the movie. I feel like it's more of like Frodo forces his hand a little bit, but this sounds more like help us, please. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and he says. So he's complaining about the rope and he's like, I no, I will not take it off of you. Not unless there is any promise you can make that I can trust. Mm-hmm. So he's actually giving Gollum a chance to make a promise. Not like saying there isn't anything you can say. And then 
Gollum swears on the ring, and in the book, Frodo, when he starts to swear on the precious, Frodo says, on the precious, how dare you? He said, think. One ring to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. Would you commit your promise to that, Smeagol? Would you, it would hold you, but it is more treacherous than you are. It may twist your words. Beware. And Gollum cowered. On the precious, on the precious, he repeated. And what would you swear? To be very, very good. Then crawling to Frodo's feet, he groveled before him, whispered hoarsely. A shudder ran over him as if the word shook his very bones with fear. Smeagol will swear never, never to let him have it. Never. Smeagol will save it, but he must swear on the precious. No, not on it, said Frodo. All you wish is to see it and touch it if you can, though you know it would drive you mad. Not on it. Swear by it, if you will, for you know where it is. Yes, you know, Smeagol. It is before you. For a moment, it appeared to Sam that his master had grown and Gollum had shrunk. A tall, stern shadow, a mighty lord who hid his brightness in gray cloud, and at his feet a little whining dog. Yet the two were in some way akin and not alien. They could reach one another's minds. Gollum raised himself and began pawing at Frodo, fawning at his knees. And at this point is when Gollum truly is like a kind of a instant transformation. Like he, in the movies, they don't really do this until two towers when he has that kind of like back, back and, and forth. forth with himself. Mm-hmm. But here is really where it's like he is suddenly like desperately seeking Frodo's approval. Is sad if Frodo, you know, says some, says, you know, rebukes him for something. And, but Sam is always suspicious of Gollum. He's always like, no. Yeah, yeah. Not to be trusted. Yeah, misses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, I don't know, it's it's not a huge, it's not a massive deal, but um, I think at for their dynamic, it's like the little things that they tweak. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that, about Frodo and Sam's relationship? And then adding Gollum to it. Yeah. When you talk about things like this, I can't help but think of like how the actors would um, would handle it because mm-hmm. Elijah Wood and Sean Astin do such a good job. Totally. And they have such great chemistry. Like, I don't even know how they anticipated that. And then Andy Serkis is so talented. You know, it's not even like, um, like you're not seeing his skin. You're not seeing his real life face but I think of how interesting that would have been if they got to like explore those different kinds of scenes because um, what am mm-hmm. I trying to say like I think they show see you know Sam and Frodo's relationship to be very very strong in the TV show, uh, sorry, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> in the movies, um, and that now I got distracted because I started thinking about Game of Thrones. Yeah, we well, were saying um, that. Oh, and that, and that Sam is more of like his protector. You know, mm-hmm. he's there because he feels responsible, big brother type of deal. But those type of situations you're talking about kind of evokes a different kind of relationship that yeah. we have. So Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And I and I can see why Peter would have 
you know, asked them to portray it differently because they did cast Frodo so young. Yeah. You know, even if they had been the same age, it would have probably been different. But Frodo is like 51 years old at this point, you know, and Sam is like 39 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And Sam is, you know, when, when you think about it, like while hobbits are probably not like huge on classes, I would say that Frodo and Merry and Pippin are like aristocrats. Okay. And, you know, Sam is more of a working class and that he, his family has always served Bag End, you know, and so I think that it is, and he feels this, like, such dedication to Frodo, like, it's not just that he works there, it's, you know, it's that, like, it's almost like a family, familial type of relationship, I would say, um, or... But then I think through this, they, their their friendship is cemented forever. Like you can't live through something like this, right? But he is always, yeah, (laughs) true. (laughs) So you know where his, um, you know, he really is, and I think that they do get that right. And so far, because it's true that Sam is always trying to take more on so that Frodo can carry less. You know, Mm -hmm. he's always trying to protect Frodo from those who would hurt him, you know, and that includes Gollum. So I do think that a part of this, the relationship is correct, but the way that Frodo is able to command himself in certain situations and the way that Sam pretty much always yields to Frodo's executive decisions, I think is a little different. You know, I think that, um, it almost comes off as more like, like, especially if you're thinking about this moment where Frodo, like, ignores Sam's concerns in the movie, it's almost like he's like, Ugh, I know better, you know, but that, that seems more like what a teenager would do, mm-hmm. not what, like, a hobbit who has fully come of age, you know, like, mm-hmm. would do, which is supposed to be Frodo at this time, you know, he is supposed to be wiser and not just in that he is more learned than Sam, you know, I think like he is in his soul, like a little bit different, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, and I feel like that isn't quite captured the way I would have liked it to, you know, I think Frodo's a little whinier in the movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's always just like in pain and, and I'm not saying that Frodo isn't in pain in the books either, but the way that he handles the pain was different. Mm Mm-hmm you know Mm -hmm. and so and but i think but elijah wood even at 20 years old or whatever like he's a great actor so good i think he could have i think they could have pulled it off you know i think it could have just been like he's just a very beautiful hobbit you know like because the moment where he takes sting and saves sam from Gollum in in that same scene does show me that he can command a little bit you know like he steps up and i don't i don't know because they choose the path of like having frodo and Gollum get closer and therefore alienating sam more but i wouldn't say that that's quite right And, and maybe they thought that for a movie it would be easier for an audience to follow 
I don't know. I can't. I can't totally explain the thinking at this point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just feels like something that Hollywood always does. Like, for some reason, mm-hmm. they feel like you can relate to those characters better when they're being, like, whiny and sad. Like, God, I remember some Harry Potter movies where I'm like, shut up, Harry. Your life's not that hard. Like, yeah, you've got, you've got some problems, no doubt. <laughs> but, like, just the way they lean into that angst is the mm-hmm. right word. It's like, we don't yeah. need to see it. We don't need to see it. Yeah, I just think it gives a, a false impression of who the characters are. Because I think one thing that we have talked about before and that we're seeing, I think, again and again, is that like the movies, while they capture probably like those emotional highlights of the books, mm-hmm. they I think they do leave a lot of movie fans with an inappropriate or like an incorrect impression of who the characters are in the books and I think that a lot of people assume that PJ did such a great job and I'm not saying that these movies are bad I'm saying the movies did do a good job but people think that he did such a good job that he captured everything that you need to know about the books and I disagree yeah understood yeah so it's like and especially, like, I've never done this before. Usually it's like you have a movie marathon and it's great. Or you get an urge to read the books and you just do that. And I, I've never done it this way where it's like immediately read it, immediately watch that same part. And it's like throwing into fresh relief, like, all the differences, right? Sure. I mean, that's why we're here. But it, it's so interesting to be like, I've never had a problem with this scene before. Until and then you're to like, be like at it. and now I'm like, Wait a second. What? <laughs> like, are you serious right now? Nice. Um, and so that's kind of like the theme of this episode of me being like, wait, <laughs> no, no, that's not who they are. So, for example, when we see Gimli meet Amir for the first time, you know, so, so uh, well, we'll frame it again. So, like, they are, they're running trying to catch up to this Urukai, they know that they won't. And the books, it, it, they kind of explain that, like, they had to rest, you know? Whereas the Urukai were kind of refusing to rest. And they were like, we're never going to catch up, but if we don't stop now so that we can look for clues in the daytime, we're never going to... We'll never know what actually happened or if they turn or something, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? If they just assume the path. And Gimli actually is like, you wouldn't have found that brooch from Pippin if you know it had been at nighttime and he's like oh you're right so they rest and they kind of are just like we'll figure it out we'll just try to do our best you know Mm -hmm. and so they're running to catch up and then um Aragorn and Legolas realize that there are some riders of Rohan up ahead and Legolas is like yeah they're gonna be here soon and um they don't see them at first because of the elvish cloaks they're wearing and which I'm like, nice, mm-hmm. very nice. I want me one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of just blend into the terrain and the riders are going. And then um, Aragorn goes out to them, you know, similar, like they surround them with the spears and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, and Amher's like, how did we not see you? Like, what? are you elves? And Aragorn's like, actually only one of us is an elf, but 
we have the gifts and favor of Galadriel with us and, you know, talking about their clothes and, you know, Galadriel being their friend. And Amir is, uh, doesn't really like that because he's, you know, heard rumors about the Lady of the Golden Wood being some kind of sorceress and assumes that, or accuses them of maybe being the same sort. He calls them like net weavers and sorcerers, maybe. Um, and so that's when Gimli is like, give me your name, Horse Master, and I'll give you mine. Um, whereas in the movie, he shows up and he's like, who the hell are you? And that's when, and Gimli just immediately responds with that. In the mm-hmm. book, he responds with like that because he's insulted the Galadriel, who, as we talked about. That's his girl. That's his girl. <laughs> She'll be talking like that, you know? And so... Amir responds like, uh, you should be giving it, but he's, he says who he is, and Gimli's like, okay, then Amir, son of Aemond, third marshal of Rittermark, let Gimli, the dwarf, Glowen's son, warn you against foolish words. You speak evil of that which is far beyond the reach of your thought, and only little wit can excuse you. Being like, only a dumbass would say such a thing. And that's when Amir threatens to cut off his head. Saying if it stood but a little bit further off the ground he would cut it off beard and all yeah um and so like i'm like gimli isn't just being rude he feels like personally affronted yeah (laughs) um because you know that's 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 his girl don't do that to him yeah and later amir does apologize and is like i would he's like well you know if she's all that then you know, I would gladly learn better, I think is how he puts it. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he's like, oh, well, my bad. Mm-hmm. My, my bad, my man. Um, so the, the, there's a subtle difference there. But I think it, it does kind of paint. So we're starting to see more and more of Gimli kind of being painted as like comic relief. You know, talking about like dwarves are natural sprinters, you know, like the, yeah, that's yeah. the key just to breathe or whatever. But um so there's that, and then him just being rude and, like, bristly, but, and while, like, that exchange does sort of happen, I'm like, I feel like it kind of takes some credit away from our little dwarf guy, like, he was, he was sticking up for He was defending Poetrio. Yeah, so, that kind of bothered me a little bit, um, but I think the biggest issue with this part is how much Merry and Pippin's part and this is glossed over at this point. So in the movies, Pippin, you know, he's concerned about Mary. You see he has the gash on his head and they yeah. give him that like orc medicine. I and just thought they were giving him alcohol. <laughs> like they're like, oh ha 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 ha. It could be. It, it's <laughs> the way that they put it in the book is that it's something that does kind of give life back to that. Like it wakes them up and like helps them keep going, but it's not good. And Mary has a scratch or some kind of like cut on his forehead, and they put something that's like like some kind of brown like cream on it, and it heals it in orc fashion. And I think that that means to that, and he said, and it says that he, it heals, but he carries a scar the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. So it like probably the way Elrond would do it would like make it go away completely. But then like orcs, they don't care. They can just be all cut up and yeah, it's fine. Battle scars. Yeah. They're probably proudly, right? 
Um, so you get to see like more of what's going on with the orcs than you do in the movies. Uh, but you also see it's completely from Pippin's perspective because Mary is out for the count and he is trying to figure out what to do. And I love that he, he's clearly, he believes with that Aragorn would choose Frodo. He thinks that everyone would have followed Frodo and that there is no hope. Yeah. There's not a, so he's like, ah, like I feel like such a nuisance. Like, why did I come? Like, how am I helpful, you know? Mm-hmm. And how do I get me and Mary out of this? Because now Mary is not really, he's incapacitated. And so it's on Pippin. So this is where, when the orcs have their first kind of brawl over what to do, um, they have a fight because in the, in the movie they make it about food. In the book it's about, there's like a clash of the three types of orcs that are there. So there's the Urukai from Saruman, there's the orcs from Mordor, and then there's orcs from the mines of Moria. And the orcs from the mines are like, they can't handle sunlight like at all. And I don't think the ones from Mordor can either. Mm-hmm. The Urukai can. And they're like, we just want to get back to the, our dark shit. We we just came out here to kill and avenge. We don't really care about what you guys are doing. And so they're like, can we kill these hobbits? And um, the Urukai are like, uh, no. Nah. Like, we're on a mission. Mm -hmm. And the Mordor orcs are also like, yeah, we're not supposed to mess with those guys either. And they try to convince the Urukai to go to Mordor. And they're like, no, no, we're going this way. Like, there's no guarantee that we would be able to get to Mordor, like, the way that you're suggesting. And they're like, oh, no, there's a winged Nazgul waiting for us. But I think Legolas has actually shot that um, in Fellowship. He saw, they just saw, it was dark, but they felt something icky and he shot it and it landed on the other side of the river. So there is no winged Nazgul waiting for them. Um, But they don't know that. Okay. And, but, uh, Ugluk, Ugluk, I don't know how to say orc names, (laughs) but he, he, the Urukai, number one, he, you know, wins that argument, you know, but by doing so, he kills some orcs and they fight. And one of the bodies falls on Pippin, and that's like, ew, gross, right? But the sword, uh, the description of it made me give the ABGBs, because it, it talks about how the sword slides down his arm, and uh-huh. he feels the blood, but he's like, this is my chance to, like, cut off my... Because they're bound at the feet and the hands. And so he, while nobody's, while everyone's busy, he, you know, mm-hmm. cuts off his bindings on his hand but then he like ties it in a loose loop so that it looks like he's still sure, sure. and i'm like dang well quick thinking because <laughs> the orcs do come back fairly soon and mary or pippin tries to tell mary what he's done but they he gets it kicked by one of the orcs and he realizes he's being watched so he can't say anything um so that's like pippin showing out number one we also find out in pippin kind of he is thinking through what they've been through so far. And he mentions that when they originally were captured by the Urukai and the orcs at Amonhen with Boromir, mm-hmm. uh, so they've essentially left Boromir for dead and they scoop up the hobbits. Well, they aren't as easy to scoop up as they are in the movies. Mary, it's, it, Pippin says that Mary cuts off several of the orcs' arms and hands in their attempt to grab yeah. them. And, like, 
they don't do that in a movie at all. And I'm just like, that is so badass. <laughs> like, could you imagine? Like, he would have to be really going for it because, like, the Mordor orcs aren't very big, but the Urukar are pretty big. Mm-hmm. And to just, I mean, dang, Mary, like, he's fighting. I know. Good for you. So I, I would have liked to see that for sure. I think it would have kind of like continuously. Um, I actually had somebody comment this on one of my TikToks about how um, they felt that they were like, isn't Gandalf trying to keep the hobbits innocent? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, that's a movie thing. If I don't know if that, I think that there is a tendency for the Peter Jackson movies to portray the hobbits as more innocent. Yeah. And so, like, I understand why you would maybe attribute that to Gandalf, but no, Gandalf is the one pushing them out into the world. Like, you know, of their comfort zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the one, like, making sure that they're on this journey at all points, right? He makes Bilbo leave to go on that dragon burglary, you know? He makes, he supports Frodo in his decision to be in the Fellowship, you know, and, like, helps him as much as he can, but then he also advocates for Merry and Pippin to be on this mm-hmm. journey. Whereas Elrond wanted to turn them aside, you know, wanted them to go home to warn their people, which like, I get that. Mm-hmm. But also, Merry and Pippin do a lot of shit, so we need them. <laughs> um, so, I do think that is something that they try to preserve in the movies for as long as possible, the Hobbit's innocence, but these they are adults, you know, all at this point, except for Pippin, he's 29. And as we know, we don't come of age as a hop until 33. Okay. As which we I, know. <laughs> which I love that. <laughs> and I think that we should adopt it as well. Right? I mean, when are we ever adulting? I don't know. I feel like everybody just feels like they're a kid forever. Yeah. And we're all just like, I guess I'm paying guess we're bills. doing this now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of Mary's cool thing that he does. Pippin figures out the rope thing. Um, and also, and of course, like the leaving his brooch that he, you know, that they all get, um, was a stroke of genius. Uh, you know, they do it in the movies, which I, which is good, but I do think that, um, it's interesting his thought process in the book because he, they undo their leg bindings because they're, there's actually a part of the Emin Muil, like those hills, those craggy hills um, mm-hmm. on the other side of the Anduin as well. It isn't all just on that one side. It's obviously smaller and not as horrible to get through, but it, there's climbing involved. So they undo their legs so that they can, they don't have to carry them the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then they make them run for a while. And at one point he thinks that the, no one's paying attention to him enough to where he can run outside of the uh, tramplings of the orcs, I guess you could say. So like the, so they're all moving in like a, as a unit, you know? And he's like, uh, Aragorn, if Air, you know, he always keeps doing these things where he's like, I don't think Aragorn's coming, but if, if he is, maybe then there's no way he, even if he does, there's no way he's going to see our footprints in all this. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he runs outside like he does a little loop and he he runs away from the line of the orcs and drops the brooch the little leaf you know yeah and and then the orc is like hey what are you doing and then he comes back um so and that is where 
Aragorn is able to find the so so the him doing that shows that they're still there one him dropping the brooch shows Aragorn that he's cognizant and like aware of what's happening and like is trying to leave clues for mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. so being like hey I'm not dead <laughs> you know please help yes. um and Aragorn gets the message loud and clear which is great thank um, you Aragorn mm-hmm. Because I actually don't know, like, you know how Pippin somehow is able to, I, physically, I don't know how he did it. Like, he, so it's here, and then he uses his mouth to get it off and throw it. Um, it probably would have shattered into a million pieces. With everyone like. stomping on it? Right? I mean, it doesn't in the movie. Which yeah. Great, but I'm guessing that that's what Tolkien would have assumed would have happened if he had tried to just throw it, or someone would have noticed him throwing it. Yeah. Um... So there's Pippin number two. And then the last thing that Pippin does, which I think was a real, probably like his most impressive move um, at this point, is he pretends to be Gollum. So the Mordor orcs, they are led by Grishnok. And he is very, he seems to be more in the know than the other orcs. Like, I, we think he knows about the ring. Okay. And that he's trying to get the... I don't know if he's trying to get the hobbits back to Sauron so that he can, like, win Sauron's praise or if he thinks he can use the ring himself. It's unclear. Um, but he notices that when Merry and Pippin aren't being watched and he starts searching them. And Pippin is like, does this, does this dude know about the ring? And mm. he's, like, scared, but he's like, well, maybe I can use this. Maybe we can do something with this. So he starts making the golem sound in his throat and saying things like, my precious. And Grishnak immediately picks up on it. Like, he obviously probably has never seen Gollum, mm-hmm. but somebody has. Somebody's told him about it. Um, and he's like, oh, well, he's like, hey, that's, that, you know, he's like, you know, where's... He's yeah. like trying to find it. And they're basically like, well, we're, you won't find it like that. They say that. They're like, you can't, you're not going to be able to find it like that. You have to, we'll have to tell you where it is. And he's like, oh, like, I'll, he's like, you're about to be tortured within an inch of your life. Like, I don't need you to tell me where it is. And that's when Mary picks up what Pippin is putting down and is like, well, you know, if these orcs take us and search us, you're not going to get the glory for it. You know, they're going to give... Saruman is going to assume that his orcs figured it out, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so he's like, ugh. You know, he's he's obviously... he The the word Saruman, like, kind of makes him upset. And he's like, well, like... Then he grabs them and takes them. And this is when... By this point, the orcs know that the Rohirrim are, are following them and have uh, encircled them at night. But they're too far out of bow shot and they have these little watch fires but they can't see the actual riders um so they're kind of freaking out but uh the urukai think that they have reinforcements coming out of the forest soon that happens and the rohirrim close in on the other orcs and then they fight off the second group that come and that's when you know grishnak gets them out of the circle of Mm -hmm. death essentially Mm -hmm. and so 
But in leaving that circle, he gets too close to one of the Rohirrim and he's killed. And the horse doesn't, the rider doesn't see the hobbits, but I think the horse senses they're there and jumps over them. Mm-hmm. So they're okay. And they're able to get away because of, because they teased Grishnok, essentially. And I'm like, oh, that's like, Pippin in the movies is just painted like a dum-dum. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, he's not, though. Like, he's young and he's impulsive and he doesn't have a plan and he, you know, he doesn't know exactly where they are. Like, Mary, once he, you know, he eats a little bit. And another funny point is that they, so they're escaped from Grishnok because of the Rohirrim. And that's when Pippin is able to be like, okay, let's, like, we can untie ourselves. They don't even finish untying themselves before he's like, we should eat. And so they eat some Lemba spread that's in their pockets. Yeah. Then he unties them and then they start, like, walking away. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, take a break for snacks. I know. I'm like, you guys couldn't have, like, moved to a different location first? No. Maybe, or a little bit, whatever. I mean, they, they felt Absolutely good about not. Yeah, they, they had to eat. It was very important. And they do. So I just thought that was hilarious. I'm like, you guys. You guys. <laughs> so, you know, that is how they're actually able to get away. You know, they, we haven't seen them. And so that's, what's funny is in the movie, I had to stop it because I didn't want Aragorn to figure it out yet. Um, yeah. But so in the book, we have already seen Mary and Pippin get away. We haven't seen that happen yet in the movie. Okay. Um, but that's okay. Um, next time. Yeah. It would definitely be next time. And we haven't seen Aragorn figure out what happened yet in either of them. So that's good. Um, and, but the Frodo and Sam stuff is the same. They get out of the human mule and they're headed for the dead marshes. Okay. And, um, so, so the next time it's going to be Merry and Pippin and Fangorn, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli figuring out what happens to Mary and Pippin and um, the Dead Marshes with Frodo and Sam. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we are. And I think that as we go into this more, like we're going to, I feel like fellow, I was starting to like, I, I, can't, I don't know if I can really articulate this yet, but Fellowship has always been my favorite book and movie. And I feel like it's because they're the most similar and Obviously, like, an adaptation doesn't... There's a lot of things that Peter Jackson does that's different and cool. Um, But I don't know. I think as far as, like... Now we're starting to see, like, the really... uh, The the changes that have really started to take place, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Whereas Fellowship, I think it was more... They weren't major changes. Right. Um. And and by the end of this, it's gonna it's, it's gonna be bigger departures, that's for sure. But like like I was looking ahead um, on this one website that has all of like screenshots of what all the things that happens and like the dialogue in the movie. And I was, you know, in my attempt to line up these chapters with more or less the order that it happens in the movie, I was like, dang, Helm's Deep lasts a long time. They're, they're just really going for it. And it's like one chapter in here, and I'm like... 
Yeah, when I was rewatching the movie to like prepare me for for this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I found myself taking a lot of notes up to then. And then mm-hmm. I was just like on my phone when the battle scene was happening. Cause I was yes. like, it is what it is. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll be interesting when we talk about the differences between war in the book and war in the movie. Okay. But I will save that for when we're actually fighting next time. Yeah. Or so whenever that happens. I know. So I think next time we're going to have to cover two chapters again. Um, or three chapters. And then after that, I think we can get into mostly a cadence of getting back to two chapters. Obviously subject to change. Because the way the cuts are going to start happening, it's going to be more back and forth between everybody. Like, there's only one chapter. Like, Treebeard is only one chapter. And I know that he's in it up until the end. You know? So they... Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And then I think at some point during this... I may... Well, who knows when I'll get to make my case. But I feel like there are things that happen in this movie that could have been cut so that it um, more accurately represents, like, the events of this book mm-hmm. but uh maybe we'll get to that when they when they start really departing like because there's so many parts where i was like that doesn't happen you oh. know like i could just flip through as far as like trying to figure out which chapters well i'm like you're adding in whole chapters that don't happen at all so mm-hmm. that'll be super interesting um i'm i'm trying to convince josh to come on at some point so that we can talk about the music okay of the films because when we're talking about the differences between books and movies, I think the visual aspect and the the auditory aspect is um, huge. Right. Sure. understood. so I'm going to, I'm trying to convince him to come and talk to us about that a little bit. Um, So, so more to come on that because I think I'm going to start sounding more negative. Oh no. I don't know, but I feel, I felt a little negative. You felt it in your heart? A little bit when I was like, oh, what? Like, I just feel like Mary and Pippin are done a little dirty. Oh. A little bit. They're very cool. And I'm not sure everyone realizes. Like, in that one tick, I have that, the singular TikTok that has blown up. And people keep liking it and commenting on it. But then, like... I'm pointing out that when Gandalf, you know, kind of says, is kind of sassy to Pippin, it's because of something Boromir said. But then I have some people being like, oh, well, Pippin deserved it. And I'm like, no, he didn't. Don't talk about Pippin like that. No, like he is, he is good and he is smart, but he's just like a different kind of smart than the other hobbits, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's, and he's a little baby. He's only 29. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, if we're thinking about it in terms of I, 33 is your coming of age, and we do that at 18, yeah. okay? So, and then Frodo's 51, which is really only supposed to be, like, now you're an adult. I mean, like, 33, you're, you're not a tween anymore. You're, like, an adult. But then 50 is more, like, the respectable age. Like, Frodo is at the more, like, adult-iest mm-hmm. age. So you he's know. just... He's just young. 
Yeah. But he does, you know, he shows up and he's committed to this just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate him. Precious. Yeah, he's precious. So, that's that on that. That's that's that on this episode. Um, and I don't know. I don't really have anything fun to say except for keep tuning in because it's going to get wild with two towers. That's for sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So um, we will see you next week.